Hello, everybody. It's the This'll Get Better podcast, and someday it might even be consistent, but that is not the time yet. This is a conversation I recorded a couple of months ago with one of my favorite people on the planet, Steve North. He brought his business partner and friend, Mandy, and together they are going to be talking us through their startup. Uh, that they have been working on. One could make an argument that they've been pushing for this for 13 years, which I think is amazing. To have a dream and a vision that you're willing to wait slash prepare slash uh, grow towards for 13 years. To be able to even take the first step, I think there's something to learn there and to learn from these two. I hope you enjoy Check out what they're doing on Facebook at Go Love Coffee Roasting Company, and we will jump right into the conversation. Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> well, I met Mandy in the middle of the night one night about a year ago, and um, we just got engaged in kind of some of the same things, like Saturday morning community picnic in downtown Toledo, and things like that. She came to our uh, Lifeline community dinners and she likes to sing and play guitar and so she was involved in those things and we became friends over the course of several months and then that sort of got turbocharged I think in March, early March of this year, something like that, maybe February. And uh, and then she came into uh, Lifeline with pretty much everything she had immersed herself in it, gave herself to it, and uh, then a lot of other things started happening that we're going to talk about here on the podcast. Yeah, so, yeah. What's your version of that story? That was all a lie. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. uh, actually, yeah, I met him through my uncle in the middle of the night. Um, I guess I'll just, full disclosure, I am a recovering alcoholic. And I had posted on Facebook, I was stranded somewhere, and my uncle and Steve drove two hours at 2 a.m. They picked me up in Detroit, so, um, and I got sober shortly thereafter, and um, yeah, then kind of just over the next few months, slowly immersed myself in the culture of giving and service, and um, in March, there was a something that really pushed it forward, and so now it's, yeah, it's kind of my life. It's kind Amazing. of my life. That's and cool. I love it. You you use the word service. I think that's really, uh, I'm drawn to that word, especially over the last year. What, uh, what does that mean to you to be living into giving and service? Um, I guess the way that I, the, the reason so much has been given to me, um, I mean, I'm not just friendship, trust, um, shelter, different things, particularly um, over the last year while I've tried to pick myself up. Um, and it made me realize that all the hope, because that's giving me hope, is what they've really given me, and that I need to give that to others. It's just as important for them to know how loved and beautiful and wonderful they are. So... Living service, just building, you know, building the kingdom, I guess. That's cool. Uh, so 
a little bit of a speed round at the beginning of a podcast, which doesn't normally happen. Uh, <laughs> give me, um, Steve, let's do this. Name as many things that you are just interested in as you can. And except for the main one, right, that we're here to talk about. <laughs> just like give us the, here's all the things that I'm interested in. I'm interested in community, table, um, passion, investment, empowerment, micro, neighborhood, um, uh, uninsulated engagement. Uninsulated engagement. That's a fun word. Oh, yes. Grouping. It's one of my <laughs> favorites. Um, let's see. Sports. Sports. <laughs> uh, Wait, music. is that for real? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're into sports? Oh, yeah. Would have never so, known. Sports and music. And um, I'm interested in a lot of things. But my real passion is just around people. Like, I'm kind of wrecked for that. Sometimes, to be honest, I wish I weren't. Sometimes I wish I didn't care. Because it would be a whole lot easier to escape or to just put myself in an easier position if I didn't care so much. But um, I'm kind of ruined in the best possible way. In the best possible way. That's not a complaint. Right. I love my life. And to be honestly, I have known so many people over the the course of my life that ended up doing things for work or vocation or avocation were doing things that they kind of had to, that they were stuck into, that they feel like they couldn't get out of, and they're just sort of going through paces and wanting to get to something better someday. I don't have to say that anymore. Like, there was a long time in my life when I did, but these days, everything I do, I completely I love it, which is a pretty great thing to be able to say. I'm very rich in people. Yeah. Man, uh, you you mentioned music. What what music are you interested in? Like in the last couple of weeks? In the last couple of weeks? Yeah, or the most recent music that you've been like, I'm into this. The other day, I I really liked. I spent probably two or three hours listening to Lindsey Sterling the other day. Oh yeah, hadn't listened to to her YouTube. for yeah, yeah, she's fantastic, and I hadn't listened to her for a long time. I have a Pandora station. It's hers, but I hadn't listened to it for a long time. I turned it on the other day and just listened to it for hours. I was driving to Columbus, and and uh, so I listened to her for quite a while. I like almost every kind of music except for, um, well, my favorite bumper sticker says, oh, help right. stamp out inbreeding band country music. So that's <laughs> that's a little bit of an overstatement, right, right. actually. Every I say that tongue-in-cheek. But, yeah, totally. <laughs> but um yeah, I, I'm not real big on like really heavy, you know, stuff, but most kinds of music I like. I probably, I really love jazz, even though I don't listen to it as much as some other things. It's not quite as accessible, for one thing, but um, like I really like Miles Davis and John Coltrane and, you know, some other. But um, so I like that. I like Motown an awful lot. It's kind of my place. And I like, you know, classic rock and stuff like that, probably most. 
Hi, ladies. We're taking a quick break. Come on out. I want to give you hugs. <laughs> What's up? Hi. Getting back from gymnastics. We didn't even do gymnastics. You didn't? No. No gymnastics. Oh, that's right. uh, Steve, this is, well, do you have you do you remember Steve? It's Steve North. I just saw you last weekend. Haven and Kaislin. A week and a half ago. But Haven. you wouldn't know. And this is me. Okay. Right. We're doing podcasts Hi, Kate. together. How hey, are baby. you? Glad to see you again. <laughs> That's right. Twice in like That's 10 right. days. What? It's a miracle. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> it's pretty cool, actually. It's kind of a fun space right now. It is a very cool table. Yeah. Thanks for coming and seeing me. I love you. I'll see you. I'll come in and give you hugs and kisses, even if it's super late, all right? All right. Hit on it. Good night, girls. Haven and... Kaislin. Kaislin? Kaislin, like Kaislin, except the T is a Z. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. All right, Mandy, hit me with all your interests, except for the one you're working on right now. Um, sports. Okay. Uh, music. Um, gosh, I love to read. Mm. Um, knowledge is a really cool thing. Um, love, hope, world peace. <laughs> <laughs> for the win. Beauty pageants. <laughs> Do I get a crown for that one? Yeah. Um, what were you super interested in when you were like 15? Oh. Or a teenager or whatever that era would Do be. Do boys count? Yeah. I was absolutely, <laughs> absolutely boys. Uh, no, I was, I played um, a lot of sports. I played basketball, volleyball, and softball. So, yeah, I I had a full ride to Spring Arbor, but I tore my shoulder, so oh, that, that uh, didn't happen. But, you know. What are you reading? What am I reading right now? Um... I, uh, I'm actually reading a book called Daring Greatly by Brené Brown. Oh, she's get out. She is fantastic. <laughs> I, know. I yeah. really like her. Yeah. Um, but I don't have much time to read, so there's a lot of other things. Yeah. You know, I've only watched one partial football game this year, which is heartbreaking. Honestly, I haven't even broken a remote yet, so <laughs> it's a nightmare. <laughs> People watch football. Oh, <laughs> that's, it's that's like how a religion. into sports I am. It's almost a religion. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh man, we uh, fight about. Well, yeah, yeah. There's some rivalry. She's got some troubles. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't, <laughs> doesn't like the right sports group team. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> yeah, they're called teams here. It's <laughs> <laughs> a squad. <laughs> the bunch of people. A gaggle. <laughs> that's, a gaggle. <laughs> that's amazing. That's cool. What's uh, your favorite football gaggle? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so Daring Greatly by Brene. She's incredible. I just like, ugh, she's incredible. As far as uh, just what what's the book people should read? What's, the, like, in general? Yeah, that you like. If you had to give somebody a book or, you need, I mean, sometimes it's obviously dependent on who it is, but, like, I, I would have to say Les Mis. 
Lame is, yeah. It's just so beautifully written, and the story is of redemption and sacrifice, and um, just it's never gets old. Yeah. And it's it's just really really wonderful. That's cool. So always a reader, even as a kid. Yeah, I took about a five-year break in college when I was supposed to read the most. <laughs> but um, Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, so pretty much always been a reader. My grandma was a librarian. Oh, nice. So, yeah. That's cool. So I like getting that picture of the two of you. I like, should have said reading. <laughs> I'm even in a book club. That's right. I just didn't think <laughs> what's, what, uh, what's the book club book right now? Uh, the Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. I've finished it, and it is gut-wrenching and powerful. Really, really good. Before that, I read one of the, we read one of the best books I've ever read in my life. It's called Horizon by Barry Lopez, and it is extraordinary. Horizon by Barry Lopez. Mm -hmm. And no spoilers. Kind of the mag magnum opus of a guy who's a pretty highly acclaimed writer. But this is his legacy. Nice. What was his last name? Lopez. Lopez. Nice. Check it. I like it. Um, so I just feel like talking about Steve for a minute. So when I first um, envisioned you on the podcast, uh, I mostly envisioned you just telling all of like the greatest hit stories. <laughs> That blow my mind, but I don't. I don't think tonight's the time or place for that. I think we'll do that hopefully at another point or something. Um, but do you remember when we first met? Yeah, yeah, at yeah, Panera, at Panera on Airport, Airport Highway with Tyler. Yeah, I just started working out at the farmhouse, which comes off often <coughs> on the old podcast. Um, and it was I was a couple of weeks in, and Tyler said, "Yeah, we're gonna go meet." Uh, a pastor and I was like up to this point my only experience with the Methodist church had been my grandma's church up in um, Alpena, Michigan and it was the epitome of like boring right <laughs> I was like we're gonna hang out with a Methodist pastor okay and <laughs> that's that's part of the all right I guess so it's probably good to go meet some people and man I was uh I went in skeptical, right, which I normally don't do, but I think around faith and religion, I just have this, like, um, I mean, in the faith world, you could use the word, like, uh, how the prophets would be hypercritical of their own tradition, right? I'm not going to claim prophetness at all, but uh, that's the spiritual way to say, like, I was very <laughs> critical and cynical about all of this <laughs> while working in it, right? And it was really incredible just meeting you, and you broke through all of that really fast just by not trying, right? Just by being yourself, and you uh, you explained a couple of things that were super helpful for me that day, and they, mm. they've stuck with me uh, since then. And then just our conversations over the last couple of years have been like, man, you just it's been good. Yeah, it's been really good. It's been really good, um, and so. You're one of the reasons I'm rich in people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've introduced each other to a lot of folks, and that's yep. been a beautiful thing. I feel 
like the whole last year of my life looks super different had we not met right the the whole kind of theme and trajectory that I've been engaging in is just like it's because of people that we've met and because you and I have been able to meet and talk and me work through some things and us work through things and it's been really good and so I'm just super grateful to that you come on the podcast, man. I'm, I'm super appreciative of you. Uh, earlier, you mentioned, I want to give people a little bit bigger of a picture of, of kind of you and who you are, and maybe it'll make sense as we get into the thing that you guys are working on, the context of it, right? Um, you mentioned earlier you're super interested in Lifeline, and then even before that, you'd mentioned Lifeline. Uh, and so let's start there, man. What What is Lifeline? And you only have three hours, so. <laughs> <laughs> that is not long enough. Right? It's, it's probably not. Um, <clears throat> so I used to be just the pastor of a normal church. Been involved in ministry for a long time. Um, really tried not to be um, in some ways for a long time, but eventually kind of came in with everything. But I was really sure for a long time that I was called to start new things. I'm, I have an entrepreneurial bent and have started businesses and things like that. So um, I was really sure of that. I got trained to within an inch of my life for doing that and the only thing after all of that uh, seminary training a year internship with a mega church planner a year and a half academy and I mean everything you could do I did and the only thing I was certain of after all of that that was was that what I was going to start wasn't going to look like anything I'd ever seen or done or heard of which was very frustrating to me because I knew all the stuff you're supposed to do. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, so I just, I really was sitting with it for several years. And I'm a second career guy because I really tried not to be a full-blown pastor for a long time. And so when I finally gave that up, the kind of the running away thing, I had to go back to school. I was already a full-time pastor at that point. I had a wife and three kids. And I did a new undergrad degree and a 140-hour master's program in seven years while I was doing that. And I loved it. I really loved it. And so it was during that time, while I was in seminary, actually, that um, this one evening, after a, a string of important events took place, uh, this one evening in November 2004, suddenly I began to see something. And I, and I just started writing it down. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And I wrote kind of the core of it, about 30 pages to begin with. Read it, thought, I've never seen anything like this, and I'm sure it won't work. <laughs> but I, start, I was sure it was what I was seeing. So I started giving it to people, asking them to read it and feedback, tear it apart, critique it, tell me why it won't work. And the response I got back was overwhelmingly positive from everybody, from friends and colleagues to world-class missiologists and whatever. And I became more and more convinced over the course of about a year and a half. I probably wrote 250 pages worth of stuff. 
about it and characteristics of it. And all of it was about what's coming, what I believe is coming in the future with or without me, with or without anybody else's approval or validation or permission. It's coming. And so I, like everybody else, uh, kind of have the choice about whether I'm going to get on board and prepare myself and move with that, be part of that movement, or insist on maintaining the status quo until it all comes apart and leave the chaos and damage to my kids and other people's kids and whatever. And I had become really convinced <clears throat> before all of that that if I could see it, I made a commitment that if I could see it, I would do anything to be part of it, and Lifeline is that expression. So 2006, I moved to Toledo with my wife and three teenagers without a job or a place to live to <laughs> try to do this ministry I was pretty sure wouldn't work with people I didn't know how to meet in a city I wasn't from. <laughs> and it was completely brilliant. Wow. Still waiting for my call from Harvard Business to teach <laughs> strategic planning. <laughs> so. It's really hard to go from like, I've got a really different idea. Here it we is. go. Yep. So the people who do that, just historically, first of all, everything great that's ever happened among human beings has been a movement, like a grassroots, groundswell movement of people who don't really know what they're doing. They're figuring it out as they go, and they just know that things aren't right as they are, and they need to change, and there's been a change in the wind, and the, that wind has shifted, and they get to be part of something that's new and vibrant, and even if it's messy, it's worth that. And I became convinced of that around this. I'm more convinced today than I was 15 years ago. And I, it's been really, really hard. 13 years in Toledo has been life on an anvil. And doing, doing the things that we do the way we do them when nobody else gets it or thinks that it's valid. I mean, I can't tell you the number of colleagues who said, like, you left for that? Like, they yeah. don't even get it. And Where'd you come from? Sorry. I moved here to Toledo from southern Ohio near Chillicothe. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. A little town called Kingston. Don't forget to salute. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> population 1,100. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So we lived in a borrowed house. Yep. Moved 10 times in 10 years. Fires. <laughs> two fires, right? Two fire, Two house fires. Lost everything. Lost everything. So interesting. Heart attacks, robberies, vandalisms, whatever. A lot of stuff. And in the middle of all that chaos and turmoil, this really amazing thing that I wouldn't trade anything for has become real. Yeah. What I envisioned has become real. The way that we got there was not what I was expecting. <laughs> it, you know, there was one, there's one really, really important word to Lifeline. Maybe it's the most important word of all. That word is immersion. I thought I was going to come and start these things, and then we would get engaged in the community and all this stuff. And it was the opposite. What happened, and I think what had to happen, was that my life had to be immersed in the life of this city and its people. And that's what happened. Like, I was up to my eyeballs in it really fast. The pain and the heartache and the expectation and the hope of it <clears throat> took me about five minutes to fall in love with Toledo. Lifers never feel that way, but somebody new to it, like I fell in love with it really fast, despite the hardship. And 
I, uh, my life just became immersed in the life of this city and its people, and I fell in love. And while there have been many times that I wanted out because things were hard, I have never been able to leave it, the city or, or the people that I've had in my life. That's amazing. So you are coming in with semi-fresh eyes to Lifeline and all that it is. What, yeah, what is Lifeline? So, um, immersion, yeah. Um, we have a bunch of sayings in Lifeline, different things, but one of them is that this is what we do. And what that really means is we engage that uninsulated engagement. What Steve did when my uncle called him that night, that was uninsulated engagement. There was a need, and we rise to meet that in whatever ways that we can. And that's what's really incredible about this community um, is that we reach out to people. We include people who normally might be forgotten um, or seen as less than. And we remind them that they are valued and valuable and um, worthy to be loved. That they reminded me of that, and that's, you know, what Lifeline, what we try to do to every, you know, for everyone, is include them and let them know they're not alone. Yeah. Another saying is nobody makes it alone. Um, community connection, that engagement. Um, so, Lifeline, you know, its its hands extend. I'm going to mess up this metaphor right now. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I, uh, Mandy's mixed metaphors. It'll That's what we call them. It'll only be on the internet forever, um, so it's I know. Fine. That's all right. There's already some out there. <laughs> I think I mixed one up in front of like 3,000 people one day or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, oh, yeah, because you got to speak yeah. at the conference. That's right. Did I mix up a metaphor that day or was it different? Mm. Okay. <laughs> I, my favorite one is, tell, tell, him, tell him, Steve, real quick. Don't kick a gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> Don't <laughs> kick a gift horse in the mouth. Yeah. Yep, that's famous. <laughs> Anyhow, um, I just lost my train of thought, but yeah, uh, what is nobody life? makes it alone. and uh, Nobody makes it alone. Just have to be. I mean, that's it. Lifeline is something that it touches like your entire being. There are people who are just on the outside of Lifeline that speak of Lifeline so highly. And they're just on the outside. They're not even fully engaged. I mean, um, but they feel that love just that far out. They come to the community dinner, and um, we, we had a, a, one of the people from the conference came and did took a bunch of footage and put together a video. And I actually don't know the guy's name. But listening to him, I've seen him at the dinners, and he said his favorite part is getting to know everyone. And there's, you know, a couple hundred people there. And so I've seen him, and, and I, like, I, he recognizes me, I recognize him. Um, but he feels that love. He feels comfortable, and he extends that love. Like, and that's just really a powerful thing. You know, you don't find that everywhere. A lot of, a lot of churches, you do not find that. The tricky thing is that they all speak that language. Oh yeah, they're really good at at saying things and. <laughs> but it's it's a bizarre, uh, feels like an anomaly that I'm like, how is this like, right in the town that I live in? It's a bizarre. 
this is something I, like, to be honest, Lifeline is something I've looked for my entire life. Something that my spirit, my heart has searched for. And I happened to fall into it because I was drunk and alone, and I got rescued. Yeah. And, I, and I immediately was a part of this community that I had, like, I knew nothing about it. And, um, yeah, I've, there's, we all want to be mm-hmm. a part, you know, we all want to belong. And I don't know. So this, I mean, Lifeline has a very, very special place in my heart. And I, yeah. I like that idea of like even the people on the outside, like I thought, not outside as in they're in, we're, or we're in, they're out, but just the, the people who are touching it lightly. Right. right. Who there just you go. That's coming better to phrasing. The, yeah. To the dinner. Um, I haven't, I haven't been there since I think. November. <laughs> really? Yeah. <Man>. Which is lame. <clears throat> uh, Means he's missed out. Is lame, he's Harry. missed out on all the grilling this summer. Mm-hmm. I know. And yeah. I so like the picture that I that I have in my head, I, there's a couple of thoughts that just again we're speaking to people and who don't actually we haven't actually said we've talked about like the things that are fueling lifeline, right? But the mm-hmm. surface of like what does that look like? And just the I didn't know what it was, but I had met you at the at the Panera <laughs> and Tyler was like, you should really go check out his, uh, his community dinner. And so I, I ended up going, take, took my brother, Tim, uh, somebody somewhere said you should go at eight 30 <laughs> when the poetry reading nine 30 starts. it starts. I know. Well, so you was, came earlier than that. <laughs> I was like, what is yeah. going on? Um, it was just so cool. We're in this beautiful home and there's people everywhere. There's food everywhere and there's people connecting and from all sorts different backgrounds and religious uh persuasions yeah. and ages and it's it's the thing that you think of when you go like i want to be a part of an actual community uh like there it is <laughs> i'm so not i wasn't a poetry guy up to that point um, because i had always tried reading poems and that's lame. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't been sold on that yet. But uh, me and my brother Tim went, and the poetry reading starts, and it's the guy who does Shakespeare. Gary Bond. And he he did one of his poems. Um, mm-hmm. I wish I could remember the name of it, but it's about, well. Miles Davis and my father. I think so. Mm-hmm. I think that was the one. And I just remember within about a minute, I'm like crying. <laughs> like, oh, poems are cool. But I don't think they would have been cool without that whole environment and the people mm-hmm. that were there. And it just such an impact. Well, and so that light touch, like even though it's a light touch for me, it has impacted me in some really interesting ways. And it, there's always this, I find myself saying often like, yeah, we should hang out. I'm like, yeah. Or if someone's looking what, for something to do, I'm like, you gotta go to Lifeline, like uh, to one of the dinners. It is the coolest thing that I've seen in our in our area. Uh, one of my favorite things, maybe my very favorite thing about it, is that it's just a place where everybody belongs. There are no mm-hmm. outsiders, and people generally know it as soon as they show up. Yeah, it doesn't even make sense. Like, well, any they don't have any reason. Yeah, there's no logical or visible reason for them to feel so much like they belong, except they do, yeah. and and most people recognize it as soon as they arrive. We begin everything with belonging. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what we're doing. Right. Uh, nobody's outside. Totally. 
Yeah. And you can feel it in that space. And there's, and there's like, what I've appreciated about it, even from that, I know it's just light touch, but I've never felt the, like, there's never like a bait and switch outside. It was like belong. Some people talk about belonging and then it leads to whatever their th- next thing is and their next their thing. agenda. And there might be <laughs> more things after belonging for you all, but it seems like based on the people that I'm seeing involved in it is that belonging is almost carried through the whole way and never dis- like, yep. it's always about belonging. Yep. That, that part never goes away. And that's what I think is so impactful about it. And you just feel it in that space and those people that I know. And yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, but that's just one part of it, right? Yeah. And so, what else? What are all the parts, real quick? Of Lifeline? Yeah. Oh, well, um, there are poverty immersion experiences that we do with high school students and college students and adults when we can find enough that aren't chicken. Those are really <laughs> impactful and really have um, developed a lot of young leaders that are doing some amazing things in the world these days. Um, we have a bought a Greyhound bus on eBay and converted it into a medical clinic that we use to serve people that don't have access to health care. And it's kind of a rolling mural, too. A local artist painted a mural on it. We do, we've done disaster relief and social enterprise things and um, just a lot. And then what we call Weird Church is really sort of, uh, it and the community dinners are really the centerpieces of Lifeline. <clears throat> That's why I saved that for last. But we do micro church. We're not trying to be big. We're not, and we don't own a building, and we're not going to. Yeah. Um, it's it's house. Love. We do house church and coffee shop and homeless guy fire pit and street and park and neighborhood and gym and everything we do is church. That's one of our sayings, mm. right? Uh, one of the really important ones. Everything we do is church. Whenever we're together, that's what it is. Like it's a um, it's a missional moment. It's a sacred moment. Sitting around this table right now and having this conversation, I feel that way about it. And so, like, but it's not just me. It's everybody has that same attitude around it, and that's why for us, our relationships are not disposable or expendable. Um, and when we have hard times together, we work it out. That's right. It's just, just an amazing thing, and it's not entirely common. And so the micro church thing. So the kind of the flagship for that is a church that meets in my home yep. on Sunday nights. And if I'm describing that to people, I'm telling them that. Our time together is bookended by the two tables, dinner and communion, and our whole life together in between. And um, it's a lot of wrestling and caring about each other. Everything we do involves voice, giving other people a voice. Like, I talk a lot. But um, when we gather together, like, I don't. I I don't talk an inordinate amount. I, I facilitate and everything, but everybody has a voice that wants it. Like nobody's called out or made to, but always an opportunity for voice is given. Multiple ways at weird, what people call weird church, yeah. our house church, certainly at the community dinners with the open mic and the conversations around tables. If it's on the bus and the, a patient's story with the doctor or the, the welcome attendant, if it's 
um, on 4.5, the poverty immersion, the processing of the experiences. Everything we do involves giving people a voice because too many people are just not heard. Man. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. All right. So then y'all decided to do something weird <laughs> on top of the weird Weirder. church. <laughs> <laughs> Weirder. <laughs> so, yeah. What, what's going on with uh, your main interest, the thing that you're trying to make and build right now? I, I def- I'm going to let Steve introduce that because that has a backstory also that only he can tell. So when I was first writing about Lifeline, one of the things I knew, Lifeline's never been about what I'm doing or what we're doing. It's about what's coming. And it's about the future and adjustments, changes that need to be made, particularly for church folks. Like that expression of religion in the world, massive change is coming. And some people want to deny that or whatever, but... um, they're not either not paying attention or not being honest because so it's vested coming. in the system. Yeah. yeah, the status quo always is. Yeah, the status quo is always going to work and fight to preserve itself. Always, always has, always will. In an individual or a organization. That's or, right. Yeah. Just yep. so in um, in two thousand four, when I started writing about all this, one of the things that was clear to me really fast was one of the big changes that's coming is that churches, ministries, I think other kinds of organizations this is true of as well, but what I was concerned with was that stuff, uh, church stuff. So um, I was really clear really early that like offering plates are not going to do it. Um, Yeah, that's a bizarre thing. In all the time I've known you or been to your things, like I've not seen money be a thing yeah that's in some ways that's a failing on my part <laughs> it's uh, a big vote of confidence on <laughs> from my end <laughs> i don't i know obviously that creates some issues so i mean there are sometimes people say hey why isn't there a way for me to contribute to this mm-hmm. you know so i mean that there, there is a lot of legitimacy to that and i think giving is part of a good healthy life and certainly participation in a community we ought to do that However, even then, two or a thousand churches in America close every month. And there are lots of reasons for that, but the greatest reason is that they cannot handle the financial weight of the combination of building and staff. And so, like, and as um, the economics and our culture continue to develop, the way they have for the last couple hundred years through the industrial age and all of that. As that continues to develop, um, there are lots of different pressures that are coming to bear because of that. But the bottom line is that the resources available to the people that um, in the vast majority of churches that make up the vast majority of churches are unable to keep up with either the maintenance costs and all of that and the and the even just the utility costs the operating costs of an old building if it's an old place or the mortgage and all that stuff of a new place because yeah. listen 
almost always people overbuild and overspend and all of that. It's just the way it works. And somebody's going to upsell you. And yep. when you're building a building and nothing's going to go according to plan and they're going to be <laughs> add on charge, all these different things. And that's really big. And then you have, it is kind of standard operating procedure in the North American church in particular, that you hire the people who are going to do the ministry and the rest of the people show up on Sunday totally. with their scorecards and decide whether everything was as good as it should have been. <laughs> and that's kind of the way that's a, yeah. a little bit harsh in some ways, but I, it's true an awful lot, a lot more than it should be. Anyway, so I became really convinced that what uh, the future holds, not only for the sustainability of the church, but for its effect and impact and influence on the communities in which it lives, functions, is enterprise. Uh, if I'm talking to people with sort of a historic church background, I'll talk about it as a monastic way of sustainability. Like monks and monasteries baked bread and went out into the streets and sold it off of wagons in order to, to sustain their life together. Um, if I'm talking to other people that don't have that frame of reference, I just talk about social enterprise. Either way, it has an empowerment uh, component to it as well. So it's not just about that community or organization or entity perpetuating itself. It's got to do with the impact on the neighborhood in which it exists and helping to lift uh, that neighborhood or that community or that city um, to a higher, more empowered, more where people have more autonomy and self-determination and self-governance. And so that's a really critical component of it as well. Anyway, so... <laughs> I freaking love you. So then... When's the last time, like, just... It exists for empowerment, so people have more autonomy, more self-governance. Self-determination. Self-determination. Like, that is not the pitch you get for <laughs> why church, like... <laughs> It's for, and then insert <laughs> random Christianese word, right? Like, I love that that's the, like, that's the thing behind the thing for you. That's, it's yeah. beautiful, man. Well, it's important, and it, and it, that has everything to do with justice. So anyway, so I was aware, like, I could see that. It was like watching a movie I'd already seen before, and so it was familiar scenes, and so I, like, I was writing that into the model as I'm going along. Well, in the, in October, August 29th and 30th, 2005, a great big storm hit the Gulf Coast of the United States, Hurricane Katrina. <clears throat> and uh, four days later, I left from my first disaster relief trip to Waveland, Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, where the eye of the storm passed. Lots of people went to New Orleans, and they should. A lot of people affected there, broken levees, water, all that stuff. This was where the eye was. It was direct storm damage. One in six people had died in this area. When we got down there, they were finding bodies in the tops of trees. I'm not kidding. On tops of stores and all that. Martial law was in force. I, and I just always like to go to where it's kind of the hardest. <laughs> you know. And so Toledo um, and there. <laughs> so we got down there, and I made Dang. sure we ended up, and by the way, the people who went with me, really brave, maybe a little stupid, because we didn't know where we were going when we left, <laughs> and I made arrangements while we drove, yeah. and I was driving. And so we... <laughs> Don't admit that I... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
It's uh, all via text. It was uh, no, <laughs> no. I don't think I even knew how to text right, at right. that point. But uh, anyway, so I tried to make sure it, we ended up connecting with this big relief compound right where the eye stalled for five hours with 175 mile an hour sustained winds. One in six people died. It was horrific. Well. Um, we connected with this big relief compound where they were serving like 7,000 meals a day. And at every meal, I made sure to sit with a local or somebody, certainly somebody I hadn't come with and mostly locals. Well, this one evening meal while we're down there, I met this guy named Matt who was from Anderson, Indiana, had planted a church in Anderson called the Mercy House. His name is Matt Connor. And, um, I got... We got talking, and I was telling him about what I was working on with Lifeline. This was 05. I hadn't moved yet. And I was talking about this enterprise idea, and he told me about a church in Muncie, Indiana, that had funded an internship program by roasting coffee and told me the story of how it all happened. And when I heard it, it was like a bell rung in my head, and it was like, that's the thing for Lifeline. I hadn't even moved yet. I didn't even know for sure I was going to move yet. <laughs> so this is before you were in Toledo. This was 2005. Okay. I didn't move to Toledo till the uh, middle of the summer of 2006. Yeah. And we didn't, I sure didn't, at that point, I didn't think at all that I was moving to Toledo. That thought hadn't even occurred to me. I was thinking Cleveland. Anyway, so that stuck with me, and I just knew that was the critical um, social enterprise for Lifeline for in the future. Once I moved to Toledo, my life was really difficult personally. Uh, we faced a lot of hardships. Some of those have already been mentioned. but I ne And so I never had the wherewithal to do it, but it never left my mind. And I, there are other social enterprises we've done, small scale, limited resources and all of that, but they were really simple to sort of do with smoke and mirrors if you don't have real resources. And so we did some of that, but I never let go of the coffee roastery. And, oh, I just said it, didn't I? <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. We're talking about it. Oh, yeah. And um, it, was, it was late summer last year, 2018, that I started getting this urgency that 2019 was going to be the year we had to start the coffee roastery. And... Um, and so I applied for some additional grant money for seeing that um, necessity, I guess, and uh, was awarded that grant money from our conference. Also, around the same time, I was invited, I don't know if I should tell all of this, but I was invited to be the keynote speaker at the Ohio Mennonite Missional Conference and Annual Assembly. Just the name is long. Yeah. Talk, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I said yes to that. Well, I, you know, I'm sort of casually shopping for coffee roasters, have no idea what I'm doing, and I'm looking at these giant machines and all of this and trying to f figure out what, possibly to do, but not feeling real anxious because I knew I had no money, and I was trying to <laughs> also figure out how that was going to happen. That's right. Well, the, the, the bottom line is that um, in March, beginning of March, I spoke at that conference. Three weeks later, somebody who was at that conference contacted me via email. I don't think we ever met in person, and um, he didn't claim that we had, but he talked about things I had to say at their conference 
he lives in Northeast Ohio, and um, and then he said that he and his wife wanted to help fund a project for Lifeline if we had one. What? And so, uh, I'm not kidding, and uh, said, I think I do. Right. And so, the next day, I went to Indianapolis, went to meet Matt, the guy from Waverly, Mississippi. Okay. Mandy went with me, and she didn't even really know, I don't know, when you got in the car, did you know where we were no, going? No, he asked, I had the day off of work, he says, hey, you want to take a road trip? <laughs> you want to like, do yeah, the uninsulated engagement thing? Yeah, he's like, we're going to Indiana, sweet, let's do it. That's amazing. Like, that was fantastic. People do that, like they I just know. go. Yeah. Yeah, and then she just like <laughs> caught fire, it was like Dang. flash paper. Yeah. Over this thing. You weren't like expecting like. No, hey. I had no idea about the coffee roasting thing. I'm like, what? Okay. But, I mean, I had some some pretty, you know, basic ideas about Lifeline, but since March, they've really, yeah, you know. It just coincided with her coming like yeah. all in. I mean, yeah. all of this just converged. All at once. Yeah. So, Dang. and and then, um, you know, Matt hooked us up with the master roaster from that church in Muncie, Indiana from almost 30 years ago. Okay. And uh, that, this is the day after I get the email. I meet with Matt. He's telling me stuff to look out for. The, a master coffee roaster who's now in Seattle. That's Mecca for if you're roasting coffee, yeah, right? right. <laughs> roasting coffee yeah. in Seattle. Yeah. yeah. He and might know what he's doing. He right. might. And so he offered limited consulting services for us if we needed them. Came back to Toledo on that very night, met somebody else who is has a significant job in the retail third space coffee shop yeah, industry, yeah. Uh, who also offered help and consulting training and things like that. Got really in, interested in what we were doing. And in four days, we put together a little um, proposal of stuff that came in right around the top end of the gifts that they had given to that point, this couple had given to that point, and a narrative making the case for what we were going to do and why, and they did not do it. They gave us $2,000 more than I asked yeah, for. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. And uh, so then we started moving, and it's just, it feels slow. It feels almost excruciatingly slow. Well, I mean, when the idea starts in 2005. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> you wait 14 years, and it's... But really, it's gone fast. I think that's a, like owning it we just live in this culture that's like i have an idea oh it's been six months and it didn't happen so i guess yeah. i guess it's over and that's really encouraging to hear and see mm -hmm. because there's a couple of those ideas for me that um i've started working on started pouring a lot of thought and energy into and it it didn't happen over the summer right and yeah. so there's part of me that's like well i guess that's done but it wait a minute no there's some hope for this thing. Maybe yeah. it just needs to percolate for 13 years. <laughs> and then once it starts, like this, it's been six months now. Yeah. Since this really started. So it feels slow, but. But it's really probably faster than you could possibly expect. There's there's a lot of it that's, that yeah, feels really, really slow, like painful. Um, and in other ways, it's just this is the fastest roller coaster I've ever been on. <laughs> Like, and I've been on the Millennium Force. <laughs> I can't ride it because it made me faint almost. <laughs> it makes me pass out every time. I can't do it. That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, this is like, this is just, it's been wicked. I mean, neither of us really 
Steve had this brilliant idea, but did you know any of the details? I mean, like, not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he had no, you know, one of the things <laughs> Matt said that day is, um, I'm, you know, he said, I'm going to tell you one thing. If you don't have somebody who is on fire for this, don't do it. Yeah. And he didn't have somebody. Um, but I don't, for some reason, all of a sudden, we had a, a fire. There, <laughs> there was, was a fire an inferno. Lit. Yeah, <laughs> like when he me. said that, you were like, hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was just like we were talking on the way back from Indiana and excited and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And when I got home that night, I just started Googling stuff. Yeah. Like watching videos and people who are going to listen to this, if any of them are coffee roasters, are going to laugh because they're going to be like, she watched some YouTube videos. <laughs> hey, that's how things happen. Um, but, you know, I just, I, I got really interested uh, because Lifeline, you know, you can tell from how I speak of it, I think that it just means so much to me. And um, so, hey, if, if y'all need me to roast some coffee, I'm down. And that's kind of mm-hmm. how it, how it started and, and we just, I don't know, I mean. And then there was no stopping her. Like, she couldn't sleep at night because she's up <laughs> yeah. Googling f- flavor profiles and all this yeah. stuff. Here's how little I knew about it. When I saw the bags you of know, coffee. coffee comes oh. from beans? <laughs> well, but I it says. I did not know that, like, when, when you say green beans, I'm thinking, like, yeah. Green beans that you eat on your supper <laughs> yeah, plate. Yeah, yeah. Wait, coffee gr- or coffee beans are green? What do you What do you mean? Like you roast coffee? Oh, that's this awesome. is really like. Yeah, you went from I don't know anything about this. To, yeah, mm-hmm. that's amazing. And now you ought to see her. I thought when I saw in packages like <laughs> chocolate notes, citrus notes. I'm going. First of all, they are completely lying. None of that is in there. <laughs> and the, but then I thought, if it's in there, it's because. Throw like a Hershey bar, the roaster with it. We did a <laughs> kind of coach the beans. We did a tasting. Our first tasting ever was with one of our um, consultants. Consultants, and we had the same question. He's like, "This has something chocolate in it," and we're like, "So you ro- you throw you put chocolate in there?" That's awesome. You yeah, put, I don't know how hazelnuts in there. How do you get some you, flavor in coffee? You get flavor. It's what it's grown by. Oh, um, it's quite fascinating, actually. Like lime and cherry and vanilla beans and just all sorts of stuff that makes this like, comes out when you roast the bean. So wherever it's being grown, they're gonna plant some mint. No. Okay. It's in the soil. No, of like the, the neighboring farms. Okay. Often the neighboring farms, like like fig or what are some other ones? I wish. Oh, I had there's the, a million. There there's are so many ton. different things. Um, tobacco. Tobacco. You taste tobacco, believe it or not. If you have a good palate, you taste tobacco in a lot of coffee. All right. Um, but yeah, it's it's really fascinating. That is really interesting. So Mandy and just started like she got consumed by it. And then we got the little sample roaster, and she started roasting, and she's, like, really into it. All right, we got to pause there. Okay. So, like, you you roasted for the first time. How'd that go? It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> it was. So, so, oh, man. You get this, my micro roaster, and it has a program on it, and you're like, okay. And I'm like, we're just going to run it on the program the first time. Pretty sure we almost started a fire but um hey look we have a wood stove or you thought we we were going to it was so smoky it was all like oh so we ran it just regularly and the thing is you gotta 
let it breathe, and then you have to let it sit like longer so the flavor kind of just so you have to wait like days mm. to even try it. And so <laughs> we actually have a video. <laughs> roasted it, ground it up. <laughs> a video. And we're like, we're trying it for the first time. And, <laughs> and Steve's got the phone pointed at me and I take a sip in my face. <laughs> it was the worst face ever. I think I spit yes. it out. I was like, okay, so we can so only well, go up from here. <laughs> totally, totally. Like we've done, we've done it, right? Oh, that's so cool. And we actually—that is probably my favorite bean so far. Now, I—I yeah. I have a really, we have a really good roast for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was awful. <laughs> for round one was a loss. That's amazing. But it's also leading to the next thing. The yeah, next thing. Uh, you just you make some fine tune, you know, adjustments, and you learn about breathing. And waiting and patience in the process. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. It's um it's definitely more of a science than you give it. You know, you and I, I mean, all of us, we go to our Keurig or whatever in the morning and you put that little pot in or you put a couple grounds of folders in and you're like, Yeah, and coffee. And it's just there's so much that goes into it. So much thought. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't even drink lattes barely anymore, do you, Steve? No. Just coffee in it. I used to only drink lattes. Right. It had to be frilly if I was going to drink oh, it. Oh, for sure. Not anymore. Good I drink you. mostly black coffee. Dang. And I like it. That's amazing. <laughs> how many rounds or how many batches have you gone through? No. Uh, <laughs> Roasting. How many did it take to find a good roast? Or how, how many, how many would you, like, fast forward to today, like, from that first roast to now, how many batches have you roasted? Oh. Hundreds. Okay. Hundreds. Um, yeah. But, you know, they're half pound at a time, so. Yeah, because um, it's a micro one. Yeah. But, yeah, we've roasted hundreds. That's cool. And Just that learning process. I learned, I still, even working, you know, with the same beans, I, I am learning something new every time, it seems like. And finding this rhythm and this um, routine of, you know, how I approach the task at hand, which is, there's numerous steps to it. And, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. It's peaceful. I can play music now because I'm not... Like freaking out about <laughs> hitting buttons because I know what buttons I need to hit now. Right, so right. Um, it's just it's, it's quite peaceful, and I think it smells delicious. But people are always like, "Oh, roasted coffee," and I'm like, "Yeah, it doesn't smell like brewed coffee. <laughs> it's not the same. It's totally different." Yeah. yeah. So. So cool. Yeah. So she wouldn't say this, but the really good news for Lifeline in mm-hmm. this case is that it turned out that the person who caught fire for this is really smart and intuitive mm. and has from the beginning just seemed to know what to do about what she was tasting or, you know, smelling at what point or whatever. And the roast that um, she's talking about that with her favorite bean, um, what came very quickly and it has stuck mm. and people have loved it. So we actually introduced it somewhere last weekend. Oh, cool. Uh, And we had a tasting station and a bunch of just eight-ounce bags of that particular roasted bean. We sold everything we had. And so that's better than people saying, oh, let's support the new little whatever. Right. This was, 
we taste it, we really like it, can I buy some bags? Right. And so <clears throat> that's really good news, but that's that came about, that roast on that bean came about really fast mm. because of her, I, I, the best word I know to describe it is she just intuitively knew how to respond to what was happening. Yeah. So we got the right person. That's so cool. Yeah. So what it, when people are asking, so what do you do? What's what do you give them in response? Um, well, I have two jobs. Okay. I landscape, and I, I I've done it for sixteen years. So cool. I couldn't wholly give it up. I struggle. Um, but no, <laughs> so <far>. I I <laughs> and I I'm the master roaster or the roast master, depending on yeah. what kind of mood you catch me in. That's right. <laughs> How funny I want to be, you know. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and that do you feel like that fits? Is like, does that feel like, okay. I, I feel like that. there's some britches I can grow into. Yeah. You know, I, there's mm. so much for me to learn. I've really just touched the tip of the iceberg. Did I, is that a mixed metaphor too, probably? It's, it, I think it that's works. just an, it works. Uh, a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good. All right. Well, anyways. Um, Solid. Yeah, I've really just, just begun. And uh, that's so cool. It's exciting. I have a lot of other beans to start working with. And, you know, what's awesome, I just want to toss this in real quick, is that it's fair trade and organic. Um, What Lifeline stands for, the empowerment of our community, we also want to extend that in the things that we're buying to empower our own community. We want to empower other communities. So fair trade, organic, Great villages that uh, we, I mean, we go through a co-op, but great villages, uh, the people in it, you know, generations and generations of farmers and helping them to get education and things that they need, resources, and um, which is also a reason I can be so fully on board with this. Um, And one of the growers that we're working, one of the beans we're working with is grown by uh, this, it's on a small family farm. And they were wiped out just a few years ago, just three, four years ago, something like that. And so they're trying to come back. And it costs money to get your certifications for like fair trade and yeah. organic stuff and all of that. So they're starting. So we're helping this farm that was wiped out for a few years. They had a bean. There was a disease in their okay. beans. Gotcha. So they and lost their entire crop, and it yeah. it killed. You know, yeah. Just so they're re-earning all their certifications and statuses, and like our buying their beans helps. Yeah. Restore their livelihood. So that's so cool. Yeah. Dang. So <clears throat> your the word social enterprise then. So this is fitting into Lifeline. Um, you've always envisioned having something or this, right? You envision this. Maybe yes. it looks different than whatever that initial vision was, right? Or how you get there anyways. So why why the social enterprise with church land? Like you keep, you've mentioned several times, like uh, the future, right? Mm-hmm. The future for faith communities is, is going to happen. What is that future and, and why is the coffee thing fitting into that? Well, so f- just speaking for Lifeline in particular, um, nothing we do generates revenue. <laughs> like, <laughs> again, Harvard Business is not calling. Right. Um, nothing we do generates revenue. I think you revenue. of them called the other day, though. They're you can cut that out. <laughs> 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 um, 
so, and, and but we like the way we're doing things. Like what the way we do what we do is consistent with our ethics, with our sense of calling and vision for the world, and the way we want to relate to our community and the people around us. And so, like, I don't want to change that. I would, I want to preserve the DNA of Lifeline, while also sustaining it. And there are lots of other ways that we could sustain it, but we would become a GMO. You go to the grocery store, you go to Kroger, and you're looking for packages that say non-GMO. Like, everybody is looking for that today. Uh, the thing is, in my view, and I talk to people about this quite a bit, the church in America has become a GMO. It's, it has changed at the DNA level. And we feel like... Lifeline's DNA is something we want to preserve, that we think it's consistent with the kind of church we want to see in the world, with the kind of uh, ways that we want to engage our world that conveys the message that we think is really important. And so um, to use some of these other means of sustainability would change us at a DNA level, and we haven't been willing to do that. And it's been hard not to, like, there are times when it's really, really hard not to. But we haven't. This is a way that through work and ingenuity and enterprise and engagement with our community, and as I said, as, as we grow, like we're going to be employing people who have employability issues, uh, various kinds, uh, people on the margins, people that don't have a voice. We want to give a voice and those really key ideas of autonomy, self-determination, self-governance yeah. are really... You can tell I say this stuff a lot. Right, like, right, right. He's like a broken record. No, I know, I know. It's good. <laughs> but th so that's really important. So doing this through work sustaining ourselves rather than trying to convince somebody that they ought to write us a check yeah. is really different. And then when people give to something that is so... Um, has such mutuality... Uh, built into it. It's not just about us. It's about our community and those that we serve or engage or live next to or across the city from or whatever. Um, that's just really important, that way of engaging the world and having a sort of a justice orientation to the way every person is treated and valued is reflected in a social enterprise in a way that typical means of fundraising can't. And so it's a DNA thing. I love it. It's just trying to, to be who we who you actually are, mm -hmm. man. And we'd rather do it the hard way to protect that than to do it an easier way that compromises yeah. it. Totally, ah, man, that speaks a ton. Yeah, who do you know? I mean, do you know anybody else that is literally willing to just stick with the? Let's go the, the long road. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've never in. And everything that I've heard about and seen, it's, you know, definitely this road has not been easy for Lifeline. And I'm so grateful that Steve stuck it out to, you know, people like me could be a part of this. And, and then now people like you are sticking it out. Yeah. Amen. All right. All right. Right? <laughs> That's fair. It is. You are. Yeah. A minute for the long haul too. You could take an Wasn't my road. vision, but it's definitely right. my mission now. Right. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. What 
So when did you go on the trip to <laughs> see the coffee roaster? It was the first week in March. First week uh, in March. No, first week in April. Oh, first week in was April. It was right around the 1st of April. First weekend in March was that conference that I spoke at. Oh, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, but yeah, we, yeah. it was three weeks later that the guy contacted me. It was at the very end of March. So it was right around the change of March and April that we went to Indianapolis. Okay. So it really is six months ago. Yeah. And then right after that, so what was it? Two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks later, we got a we, check. We got a check. From somebody we never met. The, the following, <laughs> two days later, we had... You know, we had been researching coffee roasters at that point. Um, but two days later, we ordered a gigantic coffee roaster, very expensive coffee roaster. Yeah. Once again, never having touched a bean. <laughs> we're like, let's just let's do get this. It, guys. We're, we're going to uh, right out the gate. And, um, and then, you know, that took, what was it, seven weeks? Five days. So, yeah. 75 days yeah to so. get in so part of starting a business especially a roasting place like that sounds like a physical space you have a church that meets in houses yeah you don't have a physical space nope <laughs> so yeah not one that'll house a 900 pound machine Was or that would originally right. Just in the backyard, or where are we doing this? At? Yeah, it's in the backyard. <laughs> we're hoping Not nobody that that notices. Not that thought didn't cross our mind at one point <laughs> you're, you're when right. we were searching for places. Totally. <laughs> Actually, we have a very generous partner church who offered us space. It was an old, old commercial kitchen off a gymnasium in their the neighborhood center uh, part of their cavernous building. And it hadn't been used in a very long time. And but they offered it to us. In fact, they asked us to bring there, to bring it there. We were actually considering other space that clearly, in retrospect, would not have worked nearly as well. But um, we liked that partnership a lot, and so we were looking at it anyway. But when these folks found out what we were doing, they said, "We want you to have your roastery in our building." And uh, very generous. They've and they've let us like do all kinds of stuff to their building. <laughs> and yeah. so Yeah. Yeah, like physically change it. And oh yeah. Make it into what you need it to be. It is a dramatic Dang. change. That's pretty incredible. Like when people from that church come into the building now, like I had some people come in this past weekend who hadn't seen it, they're like, Wow, this is <laughs> really <laughs> no, nice. you went to That's we, really interesting. Like I wanna know the the board of a church that's willing to let it's right? super interesting just so that's just a generosity of spirit yeah. that's really deep so physical partnership there mm-hmm. that's cool yep what is i've got two questions that are in my mind one's for you and one's for you what's um what is your role right now with the roastery um <clears throat> I am Mandy's grunt <laughs> for coffee roasting. So like it's so true. It is nice. true. Like I carry stuff or help stuff or write stuff down or whatever. I want to learn it. Yeah. This is re- I like I've hung on to this for 14 years and the future of it's not only my work, but it is in fact my life's work. Uh, it's by far the most important and best work I've ever done. It's been the hardest 13 years of my life by a mile, and 
it's been by far the best 13 years and it's getting better and so and this is part of that mandy is a huge part of that so and others who are involved in lifeline as well but because of the importance of this particular social enterprise i need to be in on it and learn it too like there's a lot at stake and I also want to. It is as Mandy was saying a few minutes ago. It's really intriguing. It just draws you down the rabbit hole um, so fast, and then you just want to know more. You want to see what happens next and whatever. But most my role. This is her operation to run. She's the one who knows it best. She her palate is really good. Her intuition is fantastic. Um, I have told a number of people this over the last several months. This is a really profoundly important thing to me and to the work that I have decided to spend every last cent of my life on. And a lot of that, I think, hinges on this particular enterprise. And Mandy Fisher is the person that I trust to do it. And so I'm, I do. And she doesn't always feel that way because I'm present, and so it's a little bit hard when, like, I'm the leader of the organization or whatever, but my approach to it is I, if it's an opinion, if it's got something to do with anything like that, I'm deferring to her opinion, period. And so, and I'm glad to do that. Like, that's not a job for me. That's, yeah. and I, I trust her at that kind of level, so, which is a great place to be. We've walked quite a bit of this together, though. Mm-hmm. We've roasted quite a, quite a bit together. When we finally got the profiles down, though, is when I was like, okay, take a step back. <laughs> Let me just get this stuff going. Um, yeah. Steve has been an integral part, and in, he's not really just the grunt. But it is fun to pretend, so I can be like, hey... I need a pencil, a number two pencil from <laughs> the far side of the parking lot. I think it's in that one corner. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so take me back to like February of this year. What what were you envisioning for your future life? Wow. Um, I had I had a pretty clear vision of what my life was going to be in the spring. Um, I had been working for a restaurant part-time trying to um, get my life together. I had just moved in with a roommate uh, a few months before and had been sober a little while, but I was just working part-time, going to classes. And when spring came, I was certain I was going back to landscaping full-time like I have done every year for the last 15, and I was going to be happy, have lots of hours, whatever. Um, That is not how that worked. Um, I landscaped full-time for not very long, maybe like four weeks. And um, some circumstances changed. And now my boss, bless his heart, my other boss, he, uh, he loves me so much, he lets me landscape part-time. <laughs> and so I work for Golov Coffee. But, it, yeah, definitely not. Um, oh, yeah, that's the name of it. We haven't talked oh, about the name. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. No, it's good. Go, love, coffee. Yeah. You know, it's commands. <laughs> <laughs> Vision. Yeah. But everything starts with coffee. As a matter of fact, I read an article today that said that um, they have finally, scientists, astrophysicists, 
as a matter of fact, have finally figured out what dark matter is made of. <laughs> there you go. And it is coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. What, was what that holds a... the universe together. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> we liked that. I thought that was a great article. That's it's our new so marketing cool. pitch. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. so, like, you're getting paid to roast coffee now. Yeah. A little That's bit. incredible. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're starting something. Half time. Yeah. Half time right now. It's beautiful. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm really that just everything. There's that there's a spectrum, but I'm trying to paradox really that picture of the mandorla, uh the two overlapping circles mm. where you have extreme long vision and going like this thing needs to exist and then you have you as this other side that's going like I'm on this trip with Steve. He's talking about coffee. Ro- okay. And you know <laughs> that that strange blend of like you know, I think sometimes, like, everything just aligns perfectly. And so, in reality, as much as I want to go back to landscaping or wanted to in February full-time, um, I'm getting older, not younger. My body is definitely feeling it. And um, so I was, I've been, for the last two years even, looking for something that, I can still like love as much as being one with, as I love being one with the earth, like sticking my hands in the dirt. That makes me so happy. And sticking my hands in coffee beans is not the same, but (laughs) being invested in lifeline is. Um, So yeah, I think I've, I'm probably never going to quit landscaping. Just Uh, you love working in that outdoor space. Yeah. 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 It's it's my, it's my bread and butter. Yeah. Like I just love it. That's so cool. But I also really love coffee roasting. <laughs> can I get can if you put a tanner in the coffee? <laughs> there you <laughs> in the go. Roastery. Just take out all the normal light bulbs. Yes. <laughs> yes. Get, still get the effect of landscaping. Right. That's incredible. Man. I'm super excited for you guys. It's super cool to hear all of that. Where it's headed. My yeah. favorite thing well, that's happened with our space, I just yeah. want to tell you, because yeah. I mean, we talked about that a little bit, is <laughs> one day, and this is a lifeline thing. And so we were trying to figure out what to do with the floor. Uh, we had to take up old tile and adhesive and stuff and then and got it kind of the surface prepared and we were trying to figure out what to do with it. <clears throat> it's a heavy machine, so it couldn't be something that was soft not even something like linoleum or some sort of a tile that would give. And it couldn't be a, like a ceramic tile because it would just get, yeah. you couldn't move it across the... So we decided to, um, we were going to paint it, and then we decided we were going to clear coat it. And Mandy had the idea that we make it a graffiti wall on the floor. So we had a graffiti party this one Saturday afternoon and a bunch of Lifeline people came over, and we had pizza. And all of our core values, all of our um, the sayings and things, phrases and sentences, words that are really important to us, that are so central to our life together, got painted on that floor, along with our logo. And um, and it's it's completely awesome. It's my favorite part of the whole space. I'm sure it's everybody's favorite part of the whole space. And then we put two um, clear coats over it to protect it. Clear coats that belong in a like a heavy truck garage can be driven on and all. 
And so it's just a really, really cool thing. A lot of meaning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, everything. All the, all the sayings that we put down that truly are just who we are. Yeah. Um, you know, this is what we do is on there. Nobody makes a loan is on there. Um, give me another one. I can't think right now. Table theology, Table uninsulated theology. engagement with the world. Belonging um, precedes believing. Yes. Um, um, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, leadership meets compassion in the heart of the city. What, what would I do if my heart were filled with hope? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, stuff like that. How is it with your soul? Yep. Take the handkerchief off your hand, but not so with you. Um, creativity is normal. No regerts. No, we got no regerts. <laughs> no regerts. <laughs> Somebody snuck that one under the sink <laughs> and we just clear coated over it. That's so funny. No regerts. <laughs> no regerts. <laughs> But uh, Steve has no regrets, so it. You do have one regret, though, about that spelling error. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did that intentionally. Was I mean, everybody's oh, gotcha, been on Facebook, gotcha. and you've seen the tattoos, yep. no regrets. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, so it's like a. It was intentional. Tongue and cheek. It was absolutely yeah, intentional. Awesome. We have, uh, you are not loved because you're worthy, you're worthy because you're loved. I never do new broken That's a hard glass thing could change so people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I actually I didn't come up like that was one that I hadn't heard so many times, but when I, I had to write that. And so I had to like really think about that. Mm. And that is that's a, a he's my future heavenly husband. Oh. Uh, even though <laughs> we're not Nowen. having husbands, Henry Nowen is my... F I love that man. That's right. Um, it's been said here. <laughs> that's right. Uh, no, but I it, that that was a big one to process. Like, wow. That's a really difficult. Yeah. What? But true. But true. But true. Yeah. And, yeah. So there's just all these really... Like, how awesome is it that I'm going to get to go to work there and look at all these just motivational, remote. inspirational, yeah. meaningful, powerful, just really awesome things. And, but, and yet rooted in truth. I think a lot of times the inspirational, motivational culture we live in is very much like someone's posting a meme that has right. a quote that you're like, yeah. I, none of it would mean anything if it wasn't the way that we live our lives if it yeah. our lives if it's just it, they really are this is something that's like at this point built into us as um people of lifeline and right you know? now all of that is like it's expressing itself through a coffee roastery that's the yeah. dna we're protecting right right that we're not and there's a cost to like protecting <clears throat> who you are right yep like in your mind can you what are some of the things that have you've had to pay or not have or um so for a long time about 10 years lifeline had no home no group to which it belonged 
It didn't have any mooring to any other community or larger community of which it was a part. In fact, we were specifically not wanted. And so there was that. I never wanted to be just alone. Um, I think it's kind of a dangerous place to be. And I value support and accountability. So uh, that was, those were really hard years, really hard. And there were a lot of times that I wondered if Lifeline would survive that. Um, Jeez, that's another like pause. The idea of valuing <laughs> support. I get that. I want to be supported. <laughs> Valuing accountability is a weird thing. So the thing is, if you're if you are um, if you're in it long enough, you come to realize that one without the other is invalid. In fact, it's dangerous. Pipe dream. Yeah. Support without accountability is just an invitation to trouble and abuse and yeah. like power grabbing and yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, accountability without support becomes oppression and control. So, and lots of people have experienced that, right? But you have both and you have kind of the best of all worlds. It's really important to have both. And I wasn't willing to have just one with that. Well, uh, actually, truth be told, I might've accepted support without accountability, (laughs) but, um, but I, but I, at the same time that I might've accepted that I knew better for myself. And so, How do you know better for yourself? I know me. Yeah, that's what I mean. So like... Yeah, I know me. I know what I'm capable of if left to my own devices and self-interest. Accountability is a really important check. So, um, and it it can be hard, but it's good. If it comes with support. And if if either one of those is um, conditional then it's also a setup for trouble. Just like one of our, actually, we don't have this on the floor. What? Your status is not in oh, jeopardy Oh, absolutely with me. we do. Is it on the floor? Absolutely. Good. Oh, yeah, it Your is. Your status is what? Your status is not in jeopardy with me. That, now, yeah. It, like, that's a really important one for us. Uh, tell me about the word status there, because there's a okay. picture in my head of, like, status is a... Look what I have. No, so your status, Harry Daniels, your status is not in jeopardy with me. So your status with me, where you stand with me in my eyes and my care and all of that, is not in jeopardy. Like, if you you could do something wrong right now, and it doesn't mean you're out. There's nothing that you do that removes you except for you. Yeah. Yeah. And even then, you're still... With us, you yep. might have thought you opted out. The door yeah. is still open <laughs> and the we, light right. is still on. Like right. Yeah, the door, yes. So, your status is not in jeopardy with me. And that is, that's one of the most central things to yeah. us, is we have learned that with each other, to trust that with each other. Yeah, that, when that, I mean, that's, that's good marriage, right? When two people are looking at each other, going like, hey, your status with me is not under threat. Yep. That's right. And so where that comes from is that's what, in my opinion, that's what God has done for us, is to put us in a position where we can say, or where we can hear that our status is not in jeopardy with God. Like, you screwed up today? Okay, well, you're out. Like, sorry. 
No, that's not it. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. How do we get that picture in our brains, man? Well, we could spend three that's hours. That's another three-hour conversation. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I do, well, how long? Oh, never mind. It could be a three-year conversation. <laughs> it might be, yeah. We've been in Exodus for over three years. We're three-quarters of the way through. For Weird Church. For We've Weird Church. been in Exodus for three years. Oh, like going through the book of Exodus. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And we're on chapter 32. I've been there solid for a year. And what is it, four chapters? No. I think we've gotten through four <laughs> chapters. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I mean, they were in Exodus for what, like 40 years? So, Right. No, Exodus doesn't cover that much time. <laughs> okay. there's, always, there's always a bigger lesson with Steve. So we wrestle a lot with things. And people are really honest, and, and everybody has a voice. That's the main reason. Like, I'm not preaching. Everybody has a voice. It's dialogical. There's no real agenda. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're never talked at. And that's a tricky thing in church world. I mean, Steve always winds up tying Exodus in somehow through our conversation. (laughs) Well, or tying all the pieces of the conversation. That's what I'm saying. In in our conversation, all of a sudden you'll see the book come out, and we're like, oh, it's Exodus time. And he's, you know, but it's never... You never talked at. And Even with that, like people contribute to that oh, conversation yeah. in Exodus. It's wrestling with what it means ethically for us to live with kind of what. And so there's a lot of, it's a lot of wrestling. That's just the best word I know for it. And, and we're not, like we're not in a race and we're not trying to prove something and we're trying to be real yeah. with each other and vulnerable and, you know, go all Brené Brown. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's so easy. Oh my God, she did. Have you read that book? Yeah, she had me at the first page, right. like, or maybe it was like the second line of the second page. I don't know, but I was like, Oh, yep, I like this girl. <laughs> I like this girl. I will read this. It's so hard not to use all of her language. <laughs> what is, oh, what's the swinging cat one that got her in trouble with her TED talk? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so good. oh man. What does this thing look like six months out from now? Well, I can tell you what I think, yeah. what I see. Um, right now, we're on the threshold, so there's a little condition here. We're on the threshold ready to step fully into it. We have two things to complete before we can start roasting on the big roaster in the space that we've been provided. Right now, she's still roasting on the sample one does half a pound at a time. It's very labor-intensive for what you get out of it. Um, But assuming that those final two things, one in particular, happens within the next week or two, we will... There's going to be some learning curve. However, the power of this enterprise is such that if we reach 25% of the machine, the machine we bought was not, it was a quarter the size of what I was initially looking at, its capacity of beans. It's one quarter the size I was initially looking at. If we reach one quarter of this, this machine's production capacity in sales, um, it will fund our entire budget. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. You mean the roastery budget? No, no, it will lifelines fund lifelines. Oh, man, that's amazing. Now we have a relatively low budget. Mm-hmm. We have 
qu- quite a low budget <laughs> because we're we're um, Mandy's going to be full time in the foreseeable six months from now. Mandy will be full time. She'll be making the most money in the organization. I'm never gonna like. I'm just never gonna be take full time pay. Yes. I work more than full time, but I'm, right. I make money other ways. So. Um, <clears throat> but Mandy will be full-time roasting for Go Love Coffee. We'll have at least one other employee, and we will be producing at a level that will sustain our budget free of, like, conference grant money and things like that. Um, that is going to make it possible for us to sustain things like our community dinners, which have become quite a lot more expensive over just the last few years. There have been a lot of rising food prices and things like that and we are committed to not we always have food for people if they show up uh things like that the medical bus it will fund things that we need to do with that there's something going on with it right now we don't know what i can get at places but something's not right uh it will fund repairs on that and the operations for that and if we do disaster relief somewhere or whatever it will fund that um, and, and funding the Go Love Coffee operations themselves is that's within that. It's under that umbrella, but that's the power of this thing. And I believe that in six months we will be to that level. We're positioned right now. We have people waiting so. for us to get into full production. They're asking. They're contacting us. Yeah. It's a little bit scary. Because we're so like, <laughs> you don't want to lose that. But right, yeah. there's so much um, people. I mean, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but they people like it. really, <laughs> really like this coffee, and it's it is a little terrifying thinking, you know, of the demand that we have for it right now. And to kind of put it in perspective, it takes me 15 hours to roast 15 pounds of coffee right now without doing anything else. That's if everything is going, and that's all she's doing and, is roasting. And on our big roaster, it will take me 15 minutes to roast 15 pounds. I mean, that's a huge different uh, difference. And so right now, we can't even fill like these orders that people are wanting to place because I just can't roast it fast enough. Like in in the the roaster can't it's not meant for production you know, um, <laughs> so like for things working itself like <laughs> to, to the but like, I really like that that you're in that you're doing these micro things. Well, and once we you know once I'm not trying to produce anything on the little roaster, it'll go back to being what it's really it's purposed for, which is to create profiles. So we'll have more than two good beans or two good profiles that we're selling. You know, we'll be able to, we've got some really, really fun and um, interesting coffee beans. And I cannot wait to be able to, to roast them and, and make them taste good because I mean, different things matter and seconds make a huge difference in a roast. And so it's, you know, you got to figure it out what the, got to like go with the flow of the bean. You know, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, we can't. I'll be, I will be really surprised if we're not at that level. And it's really not that much. This yeah. is a very, you can hear from those numbers, this is not some pie in the sky kind of expectation. It's at the smaller end of the size spectrum for a batch roaster. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> I mean, it's not 
tiny by any means, but it's at this, there are a lot of bigger ones. Um, and 25% of the capacity of anything that's not a stretch to begin yeah. with is just, it's reasonable. And it's, and we're talking about uh, pricing right in the ballpark of other similar small batch coffee roasteries. And it's a, it's good product. It's high ethics. It's socially just. It is consistent with our DNA. And when and the demand for it is such, the interest in it is such that it tells us we're going to get off to, uh, a fa- we're already off to a faster start than we could have. Ex- we haven't tried. Yes. We, we yeah. haven't, we've actually tried to keep it more under wraps than anything. We certainly haven't done any marketing of any kind. Right. I did make a Facebook page. <laughs> Like, that's it, and there's not much on it. You know, there's a profile picture, and that's about it. Go love coffee. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, there's that. But the interest in it, the expectation in it, uh, the the demand for it already is such that um, I just think it's reasonable for us to expect that. And I think in six months we could be to a level that, that would fund our current budget. And that bu- our current budget's going to go up with the coffee roasting costs of doing that, right? So, but we're, I mean, we're going to be right in that ballpark. And the first order of business is to get Mandy to full-time. So we need her roasting, we need her ingenuity, and creativity, and, and gifts for the both the art and the science of coffee bean roasting. And... Um, it's going to be a good product. And so the beauty of it is, like our first customers, um, I think are churches, yeah. who have an interest in what we're doing anyway, and name one that doesn't serve coffee at some point. So they don't have to be, but it creates an opportunity for partnership interest in the things that we're doing, which means exposure for those churches to a different way of being in their communities as well. Not that we're better than them, but it's just some new ideas. And um, some people actually want new ideas. Some say they want them, and then, you know, they'll (laughs) shelve shelve them when they get it. That's a, a topic for another time, too. But some people actually want that, like, and they care about their neighbors, and they want to, you know... And so <clears throat> we're weird enough that people say, oh, well, we could actually do that. There's no, like a, a community dinner is not some crazy off-the-wall whatever, but you give people a table to gather around, food, and voice, and something really special just happens there. It's so good. The, the church that I was involved in for a long, long time. I mean, I, I I caught the tail end of this season of that church's life. Um, they, every Sunday morning, they created space for a full-blown meal, right? Mm-hmm. And it created this core group of people that, hmm. it just created that specialness, right? Yeah, that well, sharing there's the a, table. And there's an intimacy yeah. there that you just don't get unless you're sitting across from somebody i mean it just you know or that is often missed yes you know it's it's often it just kind of goes right by right 
Okay, so. Um, hit me with... Uh, My best shot? Why don't you hit me with your best shot? What, Steve, are you just 100% no doubts absolutely convinced of at this point in your life? Boom. I, um, I'm convinced about several words. One of those I've already mentioned tonight, that is immersion. Came to the realization two or three years ago that pretty much everything in my life is about that at this point. Being immersed in the lives of the people who are close to me, around me, people who are um, further you know, in other rings, maybe not in other circles, not maybe as close, but to be immersed in the lives of <laughs> individuals <coughs> around me, in the communities, neighborhoods, in the cultures, in the world, and to have a really big neighborhood. So usually, like the, like the teacher of the law who was trying to trip Jesus up one day when he asked him about the... Um, the uh, greatest commandment in the law. Luke's account of that, after um, after Jesus, you know, they have this exchange about that. This teacher, it said the words that are used are, and seeking to justify himself, he asked, and who is my neighbor? When when told um, that uh, the greatest command is love God, love your neighbor. <laughs> I mean, that's the distilled the version, whole, right? What's the minimum interpretation exactly. of this neighbor word? The guy, want, and seeking to justify himself, he wants Jesus to admit that it's reasonable to expect that you essentially you have a small neighborhood. It's the people who are like you, who are near you, uh, whose backyard shares a fence with your own and that sort of thing, the birds of a feather who have flocked together and that kind of deal. He wants to justify himself that the neighborhood that he considers his is adequate and satisfies this great command. But Jesus instead tells the parable of the Good Samaritan in which the hero of the story is the person who's from the wrong side of the tracks, who doesn't have any of the stuff that this teacher values right, doesn't have any of that stuff right. He would be clearly an outsider. In fact, maybe somebody that he wouldn't even associate with and might consider, you know, somebody who's an outsider for sure. And, uh, yeah, Jesus paints a picture of a huge neighborhood and that nobody is outside it. And that's really what he's doing. And so that this immersion in the lives of the people, the neighborhoods, the communities that are around is a really, I'm convinced that that is the way, um, that's the way community happens. And I think that's the way that we are made to live in the world. That's the way the world functions best, to be immersed in each other's lives, actually give a rip and to be close. Um, another is symbiosis. So community is really central to the idea of, um, to all the ideas of Lifeline. Symbiosis is my favorite English word, probably. 
And uh, the reason for that is not every um, expression of symbiosis is this dramatic on this point, but um, it, like in the case of a coral reef, which is one of the best examples in nature of symbiotic relationships, all kinds of species come to this to this entity, bringing themselves. And some are small and don't have nearly as much resource. Something at a cellular level or something like that doesn't bring as much as something that's much larger and visible. For, uh, but all of the things coming to this living entity are bringing themselves. So their whole self is offered to the living thing, the coral reef, and each draws from it what it needs. And uh, the most interesting thing to me about it is that among all of these myriad species that make it up are some that are natural enemies. And they are still there. Mm -hmm. That is a really powerful idea. So symbiotic relationships, mutuality, not reciprocity. Reciprocity is more transactional. And it leads to stuff that's not, it's not real community. It, it's quid pro quo. It's you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. We're, it's going to be 50-50, and you're going to bring this, and so I'm going to give you back this equivalent measure. That's not what real community is. And there's more ebb and flow to it. Mutuality is different than reciprocity. So those things I'm... Immersion, symbiosis, I'm really convinced about. Um, I'm really convinced about table, the profound intimacy. That's a word Mandy used just a little bit ago, of the table. I mean, you eat a meal with somebody and there's trust involved there, like food's probably falling out of your mouth, or if you're me, you're spilling it on your shirt, and other people are seeing that, and they're laughing at you, and you're, you know, there's... Uh, Somebody tells a joke and there's coke coming out of your nose or whatever. <laughs> you're just chewing in front of people and your face looks funny when you're chewing. And you, uh, when you're at the table together, there's just a lot of trust and intimacy involved. And God has always met people at tables. Mm. And it doesn't matter if it's dinner or coffee or communion, that there's things happening there. It's one of the most intimate of human experiences. Uh, and it is available to everybody. It's available to everybody. So that's something that I've really learned over these years on the anvil of Toledo that I didn't really, I didn't know in the same way when I came here. Um, the anvil of Toledo. I, I keep having this thought as I've heard you talk about Toledo. Um, I, I do like the, the you'll do better in Toledo slogan. I've, it's always hit me just like, meh. I don't like this slogan, but I think tonight, after hearing you use it as an anvil, I, now I think I really like that slogan. Mm. Like, uh, through that process, through mm. that hardship, like, there's a, if you approach it with the right posture, or, you know, very millennial word, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, it, that, that is an interesting space to be in. Toledo as a place and mm -hmm. going like. So I think that's a difference that comes when you um, listen. I wrote a bunch of stuff. I thought I knew a bunch of stuff, and oh. and fortunately, kind of the uh, control of the situation was taken out of my hands, or I might have imposed what I thought. 
coming in, but instead I was shaped by it. That was the importance of being immersed rather than sort of prescribing or dictating or directing what was going to happen. I never took my eyes off the horizon of what, um, what I had envisioned. I never had to because I kept seeing little examples of it, little glimpses of it, just enough to keep me coming back for more torture. Uh, and then with that came also more realization of like lifeline becoming real manifest in the world. So I, I, I'm a different guy than I was when I came here. Really, really different guy. And Manny, what are you at this <coughs> point in your life just absolutely convinced of? That, and I, I'm, I'll go back to, I guess that belonging precedes believing. Mm. And that, um, Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And that, um, you know, for 35 years, I searched and searched and searched, not knowing really what I was searching for and not being able to, like, pinpoint it. Um, and then all of a sudden, once again, like, by chance, I fell into this that I had been searching for my entire life, this mutuality and the, this community and this... Um, vulnerability and auth authenticity, um, the things that like my I always wanted, and and I've really like I I've grabbed hold of that, and I've watched other people do that, and um, it's something that I think if if everybody just got a taste of it, like I'm certain that if everybody <laughs> got a taste of that, it's gonna be good. That like yeah. we would have this world peace, you know, that I'm winning the crown, but like. Um, <laughs> Really, that's that's it, um, and and that is my my goal is is to continue to spread that love and that hope to show people how much I care. And Lifeline has really given me the perfect road to walk down to do that. Um, so I've learned a lot in the last year of my life, and I would say. Um, a lot more to learn, but that's one thing I'm I'm sure of. Uh, how can people support, follow, <coughs> do all of that? How can they taste your coffee? <laughs> <laughs> well, locally, because we don't have a coffee shop. Right. Like, you can't come to our roastery and buy a cup of coffee. So, and right now, where it's available is limited. But if you go to Farmhouse Sabbath in Metamora, you'll find it and be able to buy, buy a bag there or, and or drink it there or whatever. Um, <clears throat> if you just keep an eye on the Facebook page, you'll see opportunity as, as other people carry it. We really are focusing on missional partnerships with, uh, with other churches to begin with. It's just the most natural connection. But we also expect that once we start actually trying to market it, yeah. <laughs> um, that there will be restaurants and coffee shops and things like that that were, will it, be available. Yeah. Um, and even outside of the church right now mm -hmm. and the missional partnerships, we have a lot of um, just people mm -hmm. interested. So I don't want to um, neglect to mention that you can also email us um, and we can put you on an email list. Our email is golovecoffee 
at yahoo.com. Um, and yeah, we're keeping people updated through the email list right now. Um, as soon as we get on the big roaster, we'll be able to uh, <coughs> sell quantity. Yeah. And we will be able, to, people will be able to buy it online, like order online. Um, we will have a website for Go Love Coffee. We don't yet, but, and they um, probably soon will be able to do that even through the Facebook page. So That's cool. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. <laughs> thank you guys so much for coming out and spending an evening. Thanks, yeah, Harry. Thank you for yeah. having us. It's a lot of fun. It is.